We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Okay, so uh, does anybody feel the need to uh, do a little review of, of last time before we start with uh, with where we left off? Yeah, well, okay, so anybody think that they uh, have the ability to catch Nancy up? Just a, a short recap of what we learned last week? I was too busy fighting. We were. Yeah, it's some challenging stuff. So, in general, so this was, this is a midrash about the beginning of break sheet, and it starts with a piece of it that doesn't hit it head on. Right. It is not directly analyzing like language of Breshit. Um, but that's it, but instead kind of indirectly moving into it. And that's the only piece that the part that we were going through and and it was in its in its was talking about a relationship between Torah and God, directly at least. It also talked about maybe it's also teaching us some things or giving us food for thought about our relationship to Torah and what our relationship to Torah should be or what Torah should be to us. But it's talking about relationship between Torah and God and it uses different different meanings for this one word, Amon, to give you different aspects, that would kind of give different aspects of what that could be, if it's, whether it's Torah is, um, is uh, like a, like a nanny, in the sense that they're like, almost more like a wet nurse, I mean, yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, caring for a child, um, or, but to God, or Torah is like a um, foster parent. One who's standing in relation of parent, even though it's not a, but it's something they've taken on voluntarily. It's not, you know, um, or Torah is like what's it, like a, a noble or like a. Um, <coughs> we the, the last thing that we had uh, right uh, uh, emunim uh, so like uh, like uh, like royal draperies like royal coverings. Um, the clothing. That, and we talk about that as maybe yeah. something that wraps right. around you, that, that that comforts you, that protects you, that Blinky. nurtures you. Yeah, Blinky. Yeah. 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 We, about we did talk about security blanket. Yeah. And then from all of that, one thing that we all were struggling with was just in that kind of all of these metaphors, how how 
how weird it seemed, how not how we think of things to think of God, you know, because all time it's sort of like God needed this as he's creating. You know, and we don't tend to think of like God needing right to rely on these things. We're relying on God, so we don't tend to think of God. So we're so yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Uh, so, uh, just a couple of quick things to add. So, the first is what, what Rita said about um, about starting, even though it's ostensibly a, a, a midrash on the opening verse of, of Genesis. Uh, it starts with a verse from um, from Proverbs, uh, and this was I, I was saying, you know, um, this is a common feature of uh, a Gothic midrash, a homiletical midrash, uh, and uh, and that term homiletical. Uh, implies that this was likely a homily. This is like a, a Shabbat morning sermon that, say, Rabbi Hoshaya, who's the rabbi quoted here, Rabbi Hoshaya was giving, and this was like the, this was like the big entertainment back in the ancient world, is that you would you stand up on Shabbos Bereshit and start with a verse that was like so far beyond Bereshit, and everyone in the audience was like, "Ooh, how's he going to link this back to Bereshit?" You know, so um, so that's what we have here. We have uh, a verse from from uh, from Proverbs, and like Rita said, uh, the um, midrashist uh, uh, takes this verse to mean that the Torah was an amon to God at the creation of the world, and then says, then goes through a few possibilities of what amon might mean. Um, so, like we said, you know, maybe amon is a nanny, uh, or so. Uh, so, you know, uh, the the Torah was a nanny to God at the creation of the world, right? Or the Torah was um, a uh, a covering to God at the at the creation of the world. The Torah was a uh, an adoptive parent to God at the creation of the world. World, um, and so and, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, yeah, frankly, what I struggle with, still do it, and I have a hard time wrapping my hand around it. My belief, my understanding was always there was God, and God created the Torah, and the Torah was given to us. And this is coming back, but it never <coughs> addresses how was the Torah created. Right. It doesn't address that at all. It's just the Torah was there, okay, and God uses leans on it. It doesn't answer those big questions, and that's the trouble I'm having. Right. Uh, I don't have a simple answer to the question, uh, and you know what's interesting is that the midrash itself is not especially interested in that question. Um, is uh, it, it, you know it sort of operates under the assumption like everybody knows that the Torah was there before God was there, and God used the Torah at the creation of the world, um, which is you're right counterintuitive uh, because uh, um, it begs the question of of, uh, of you know, how is the Torah created? And usually you think that, uh, we, you know, we, we usually associate God as having been the, the originator of the Torah, but this, right, this seems to suggest that Torah came first. Um, now, I, I could, if I wanted to, kind of like, you know, get all quantum physics on you and say, you know, the essence of the Torah um, is uh, language, and the essence of language is music, and, uh, and we could say that, you know, before there was anything in existence, there was essentially vibrating strings, and, uh, and so that's, a, you know, we might kind of operate with that metaphor, maybe, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I talked last week a little bit about um, uh, process uh, theology that uh, that suggests uh, that uh, that that um, that God uh, um, is uh, is himself an ongoing process, uh, or I don't mean to use the masculine pronoun there, but God is God's self an ongoing process, so that so that God uh, becomes 
uh, is self-surpassing, right? So God becomes more over time. Uh, and so the, you know, the God that existed at the beginning of creation is not necessarily the same God that exists today. Um, and part of that uh, depends on whether or not you believe that God is eternal and unchanging uh, or not. Um, but something like this would suggest that God is not eternal and unchanging. Uh, and I would make a, I think there's a strong argument to be made that that idea that God is eternal and unchanging uh, is an alien concept to the Torah. Um, because God changes a lot in the Torah. Uh, God changes God's mind. God, you know, God, uh, we just read in, in the, in, uh, Parshat Noah, right? Uh, Maggie's Bat Mitzvah portion, right? God, uh, uh, regretted having created humanity, right? Well, an eternal, unchanging God doesn't have regret, right? So you have to explain that. Now, there's a lot of great commentators that try to explain that and do a pretty good job, but I think that they sort of, like, twist themselves in circles in order to fit a square peg into a round hole. I'm mixing metaphors here. But in order to fit a square peg into a round hole, because they want to believe that God is eternal and unchanging for a whole host of good philosophical reasons, right? But that is not what is borne out by a basic reading of the Torah. Um, all right, let's go on a little bit more in the, in, in the Midrash, but Franklin, your, your concern is noted, um, <laughs> and we'll, and, um, I, I can't promise you it's going to get any better for you, uh, in here, but, um, but I, I'd love, uh, let's, uh, let's keep raising the questions and, and keep, uh, uh, offering the challenges. Okay. So now we're, we're, um, about halfway down the first column, uh, where it says Amon means great. Okay. Um, Let's see. Nancy, are you willing to read for us? Rita was on the spot most of last time. Amon means great, as in Nachman 3. Are you better than Noamon, which dwells in the rivers? Which the Targum renders as, are you better than, than Alexandria the Great, Amon? which dwells between the rivers. Alternately, among... Oh, so let's, uh, let's just pause there. Okay, so now we have another we have another possible definition for Amon, uh, which means uh, uh, which means great, okay? So that, that may be difficult because we, we're trying to kind of like make this like a mathematical equation where we like plug that terminology back into the original verse, right? I, the Torah, was a great thing. Uh, I guess maybe the better way of putting that, a great thing, a big thing, an important thing to God um, uh, at the beginning. Um, so you, if, uh, just. So these descriptions are describing Torah then? Uh, according to the Midrashis, okay. yeah. I mean, the, the truth is, when I mentioned this last time, that, 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 that verse in Proverbs probably is not referring to Torah. It's probably referring to wisdom. Um, but Rabbi Hoshaya interprets it to mean Torah. Uh, and that's a pretty common uh, um, uh, uh, interpretive move of, of Proverbs um, is to make it more religious than it probably was at the beginning, um, to take it from being wisdom to being Torah. So, so that's, how, that's how it's working, right? So he's saying the Torah was an amon to God at the creation of the world, right? Uh, uh, so in they plugs in to different things for Amon, right? The Torah was a nanny to God at the creation of the world. Torah was a parent to God at the creation of the world. Uh, and in this case, the Torah was 
a great thing or something like that to God at the creation of the world. Uh, for, for whatever it's worth, this passage from Nahum, which uh, I'm not going to spend too much time for us looking, looking at, right, is, um, um, uh, art thou better than no Amon that was situate among the rivers that had the waters round about her, whose rampart was the sea and of the sea her wall, right? And so the, the Targum, the, the, um, Aramaic translation of that passage, um, interprets, uh, no Amon to be, uh, to mean, uh, Alexandria. Um, uh, so that must be Alexandria in Egypt. Um, uh, so, okay. So just, just for fun, just, pl- so plugging that back into the passage that the, the Torah was like a great city or something like that. Um, a, a well-fortified city, uh, uh, a metropolis uh, to God at the creation of the world or something like that. What would that mean? What would that metaphor mean? Say it one more time. Yeah, so, the to- so this is saying that the Torah was like, uh, uh, or the Torah was um, a metropolis, a great city, a well-fortified city. Um, uh, you know, here in, in, in Nahum, in the prophet, it describes this Noamon city as being situate among the rivers, has waters round about it, um, uh, whose rampart was the sea and of the sea her wall. So it's like a well-fortified place. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a place that can't easily be conquered. I mean, it's another, it just continues to suggest that the Torah was a source of protection for our comfort. I mean, all these sort of nod that direction. Yeah. I mean, you think like between two cities, or in between two rivers, that was like defense, you know, when you wanted to. Well, the conduits of the Torah was all powerful, and it can't be destructed beyond destruction by humans, at least. Right. So why would God need that kind of, like, protective fortress at the creation of the world? Well, in the, it, the Midrash is suggesting that God needed it, although it, that might be true, right? So if this is saying that the Torah is, you know, is like these things, then it also, uh, I think, can be... Uh, understood that 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 the Torah can be like that for us too, right? If it could be like that to God, all the more so it could be like that to us. Sorry. The thing is, the Torah is, is tangible. We, 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 is that, and is that time, was it tangible, or was it that time it was all word of mouth? Probably a combination, but but uh, but I, anyway, what's your your point being? That uh, God is not tangible. Okay. God is here. So uh, if the Torah... Is something that's so solid, okay, uh, like this city, then uh, therefore that we do need to pay attention to it. It does need to serve as a guide for our life, right? Because that's what Torah really is. It's a guide for living. Mm-hmm. It's how we should conduct ourselves. And does the Torah relationship to it? Because it's we can challenge. We, we cannot challenge. Oh, Torah. absolutely not. Torah is not. But, um, but. You know, that had to come from somewhere. It's not just, I don't think it's just, the Torah itself isn't like scroll paper handles. You know, it had to, it was in, I'm going to put this in air quotes, God's mind first, because he had to say it. You know, so it existed here, you know, up there, 
wherever before. It's kind of like, you know, I thought about this afterwards last week. If, if, well, especially when we were talking about it as a covering, like if, if, and I compared it to like a tallest. So it's like a tallest can be, a, a man can have a tallest and then pass it down to his son at a later time when his son needs it. So God saw that Israel needed, we accepted, etc. the Torah. So he takes it from here, brings it down to here into a medium paper that we can use it. So I don't think it's necessary. it is necessarily tangible, though we hold it. You know, the capital I, it of it, is I think more. I'm done. <laughs> That's good. I, I mean, I wonder if it has to be either or, right? Uh, I, I think that, you know, uh, oftentimes Torah is, is viewed a little bit more expansively in rabbinic tradition than just, you know, the, the words that are in that scroll and the scroll itself, right? So there's the Torah, which is sitting in the ark, right? It's a book, right? And then there's Torah, which is a more... Uh, which is a broader concept, which includes the words that are in that book and potentially a lot more things. Um, so that's another way of thinking about it. I mean, I'm just thinking about this in terms of, you know, if you think about God as like a creator here, right? Um, for, for a creator to have protection in the act of creation uh, strikes me as, as important, right? That, that, that we, we are most creative when we feel most safe, Let's sit with that for a second and see if that rings true. Uh, the second I said it, I said, well, is that true? And I wonder, I mean, you know, they also say necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah, and so sometimes, sometimes, right. So sometimes when you're, sometimes when you're under, under the gun, you, uh, you, you get creative too. But I actually, I, I wonder if that's actually true. I think that, uh, my guess is that people are, uh, are more creative when they have, when there isn't like, when the hordes are not banging down their door. You know, when they're um, hungry, though, So my, my mother-in-law is watching this. Hi, Ima. Um, and she said, <laughs> she said, creativity is quite risky. It's the act of totally releasing. That's right. Right. So, so, so I, I wonder if that's, or totally unleashing. Unleasing? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but so I, that's, that's sort of how I was thinking about it too, because creativity is such a risky act that the safer you can be when you are engaged in the creative process um, the more willing you are to take risks in the creative yeah. work. Okay. Um, and we're willing, cause God has to be really, if, if, if the world is created the way we usually think about the world being created, right. In that, 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 that at least human beings are created with total freedom, right. That's a really vulnerable thing. You know, like the, the creative process is, 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 is totally vulnerable, right. Cause your creation could not turn out the way you want it to, especially if you're creating something that has the ability to kind of evolve and think for itself, et cetera. Right. I mean, those of us who are parents here, you know, know this, that like, um, 
the, the illusion that you have any control over your children, right, uh, is, uh, is, is thrown out the window uh, the second that, you know, they're born, right? Um, you know, like, you know, uh, I mean, as... Uh, it takes a little while to learn. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, uh, you know, but I, and I it takes a while to learn it. I mean, like, I constantly, like, the biggest struggles I have are when I, like, continue thinking that I have, like, like control over how they're going to act or, or behave. But, the, but anyway, but, um, but so it's to, to like really be creative in that way means to sort of like say, I have to be open to whatever is going to happen here. Um, and to kind of make your peace with that. So, so it strikes me that, that some degree of security is, um, is, is necessary for that. I'll just add one other thing. Cause I think that Franklin's point about, you know, this, this also being about our relationship to Torah is, um, is an important point. And I, and, and a thought crossed my mind that what if, you know, what if this is saying that the Torah is protection for us, us as individuals or us as, as, as a people? Mentally. Emotionally. I mean, like, you know, it, 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 it crossed my mind that, that, um, that maybe one of the secrets of Jewish survival is Torah. Well, that's no question. Right. Well, it can be physically also. Yeah. I mean, if you, Right. It's a, you know reminds me of that famous uh, 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 statement by Achad Ha'am, the the uh, cultural Zionist, who said, uh, "More than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews." Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, more than the Jews have kept the Torah, the Torah has kept the Jews. Um, can we want to go on? Can we go on? All right, Nancy, you did a great job. Chomp, chomp. <laughs> you okay reading even your, your Alter- munching? Al- alternatively, Amon means artisan. And the Torah is saying, I was the artisan's tool of Hashem. And the way of the world, the king of flesh and blood who builds a castle does not do so from his own knowledge, but rather from the knowledge of an architect. And the architect does not build it from his own knowledge, but rather he has scrolls and books in order to know how to make rooms and doorways. So too Hashem gazed into the Torah and created the world. Similarly, the Torah says, through the Reshit, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. And Reshit means Torah, as in Hashem made the Torah the beginning of his way. Okay, so there's a, there's a couple of things to unpack there. The, the, the second thing, the last thing, is, is, the, is what we call the Midrashic move. Okay, so this is, this is how Rabbi Hoshaya hooks it back into the verse and says um, how this interpretation that he has uh, can be read back into the, the, that opening verse of Genesis itself. Okay, but we'll get to that in a second. But what's so? But what's the uh, um, what's the teaching here? What's the alternative uh, understanding of Amon here? What do we have new? Well, I like this sentence. It says, "Hashem made me beginning with his way." Well, yes, although that, uh, so I see how you're reading that, but I, I wonder if that's the only way to read that. 
Um, right? In other words, it could also mean that the Torah already existed and Hashem used it as, right, like made it in terms of relationally made it um, the beginning of his way, right? So remember I said at the, so might, might as well just look at the Midrashic move there since since you raised it, Franklin. Um, you're saying Midrashic move? Move, M-O-V-E. So, um, uh, Remember I said last week that, uh, that that opening verse of Genesis, Breshit bara Elohim et um, is actually a deceptively complicated phrase, uh, the first word of which is itself challenging, um, because uh, uh, Reshit uh, is sort of a strange way to say uh, beginning, um, it also, uh, doesn't necessarily, you know, in the beginning of what it doesn't say, uh, it also doesn't say in the beginning, right? It says bereshit, not bareshit, right? So it's not in the beginning, it's in a beginning, right? And, and I like the actually contemporary translation says when, when God began, right? So what that shows you is that, um, reshit there, um, could be a, a noun or could be a verb. Uh, first of all. Right. First of all, right. First of all, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. Um, so that's another way of you uh, that you could translate it. Anyway. So uh, and also, I think I mentioned last week that, that Hebrew sometimes has um, uh, promiscuous prepositions. So um, uh, so the b there could mean in. Right. It could mean with. Right. So that's what I think the midrashic move here is. I think it's saying. Um, he's saying, he's, he's not saying in the beginning, right? But with a reshit, bara Elohim et With a reshit, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So then it says, okay, so what's a reshit? Um, and in this case, he says, a reshit is Torah. Um, because, uh, 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 because another verse in Proverbs, uh, seems to refer to, well, probably referring to wisdom there too, but seems to refer to Torah as reshit, right? Um, Hashem uh, konani reshit darcho. And, and, and konani here is, uh, um, could be made, it could be acquired me, uh, like kone means to purchase something, but kone could also mean to make something, so we have in uh, the Amida, right, we say um, God is um, uh Elohim v'lehav otenu v'im otenu, etc. etc. Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanara el elyon gomel chasadim tovim. And so God is the great and powerful and awesome and mighty God um, uh, who does uh, does good deeds. Ve'konehako, uh, right, and is the maker of everything, right? V'zocher chasdeavot and remembers the the uh, pious deeds of our ancestors. Uh, so konek could mean maker. Um, uh, it could be acquirer of, but still, if you look at that verse, right, uh, God uh, made me the beginning of his way, right? I think that that's not necessarily a statement about uh, about God making the Torah, but what God is using the Torah for, the role God is assigning uh, Torah. Um, so, but anyway, that's the Midrashic move. The Midrashic move is, is on the word reshit, Right? What what does it mean? Bereshit bara Elohim et It means with Torah, God created the heavens and the earth. With Torah. With Torah or through Torah. Right, then you might like this one. Rambam got a commentary note. Rambam says Torah was the blueprint of the universe. 
God created the Torah before the universe is manifest in creation, preserved the world as a guide to all mankind. Right, so in that, so in that case, right, uh, that uh, it's not the Torah pre-existed God, uh, but that uh, but the Torah pre-existed creation. So God existed first, God created Torah as the blueprint, and uh, and used the blueprint to create the world. Right, so now we'll, now let's go back and see uh, the other uh, um, interpretation of Ammon that we have here, right? The Torah is, alternatively, the Torah Ammon means artisan. That's actually a pretty good Midrash itself of the word Ammon, because the Hebrew, anybody know the Hebrew, anybody able to see in the text what the Hebrew word for artisan is? Yes. Uman. Uman is an artisan. Uh, and so, like, you know, if you go to Camp Ramon, you take art class, it's Umanut, or Omanut, right? Um... So, uh, so that's actually a pretty good midrash. That uh, that. Uh, uh, I can't you learn that too. What's that? I can't you that too, right? So, uh, so that's probably a pretty good midrash. Right? That uh, that amon, same letters, could mean uman. Um, okay, vahuman. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that it's not that the Torah is a blueprint to God for creating the world. The Torah is the artisan. Right, because keep on going in the in the uh, translation. Right, um, so uh, I'll go. I'll just go in the Hebrew for a second. Right, Devar Acher Amon Uman. Right, that Amon is an artisan. Hatora Omeret Ani Hayiti Kli Umanuto Shalakadosh Baruch Okay, the Torah says I was the 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 instrument of the craftsmanship of the Holy Blessed One. Benohag Sheba Olam. In the way of the world, Melech Basar Vadam Boneb Palatin. So, in the way of the world, uh, a flesh and blood king would would uh, build a palace. Eno Boneb Ota Midat Atzmo. He doesn't build it just sort of in his own knowledge. Ela Midat Uman, rather from the knowledge of an artisan. I'm reading in the Hebrew and just translating it for you. Um, toward the bottom of that uh, first page, first column. You're on the. You're on the. Are you on the second page now, Franklin? Yeah. Turn back to the first page. I'm on the. I'm at the bottom of the first page. Oh. Sorry about that. I'm toward the bottom of the first page. Oh, I see. Okay. I want that. Uh, okay. So, but, but pay attention to this uh, here because it's it's sort of easy to like gloss over it in English. Um, but I actually think that it, that the picture it's presenting, the metaphor that it's building here, is more complicated maybe than is suggested by the stone chumash. Okay, so look at this carefully. Um, okay, so in the way of the world, a flesh and blood king builds a palace. He doesn't build it from his own knowledge. He builds it from the knowledge of an artisan or a craftsman. Right? And, the, and the craftsman doesn't build it from his own knowledge. But rather from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, scrolls and, and books uh, that he has. Right? In other words, when a king wants to build a palace, he doesn't just say, oh, I have an idea for a palace, and starts building it. He turns to an expert. And the expert in turn, doesn't do it just like whatever's in the expert's head. The expert turns to scrolls and books. 
uh, to other kind of resources and knowledge in order to do it. Ladat heachu chedarim pishpashin. Right, so that way he knows how to make uh, 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 rooms and, and doorways. That's how the Holy Blessed One looked at the Torah and created the world. So unpack that for a second. The Torah is the artisan. So what is the what does that say about God being the king in that metaphor? And what does it say about the Torah being the artisan in that metaphor? Right? It doesn't say that the Torah is the blueprint. It says that the Torah is the artisan. If, if, hmm. if what indeed? Referring, you know, like referring to uh, Torah, then what's Torah referring to? If that's what it's suggesting. Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. What do you think would be the if if <laughs> right if if in turn the artisan has to refer back to scrolls and books to figure out how to make you know doorways and and rooms. And the Torah is the artisan in this case. Uh, what are the scrolls and books that the Torah is looking into to know how to make the... And who made those? Maybe that's wisdom and universal truths. I don't know. Okay. Sure, I mean, yeah, I think it all means that's all circular. Well, okay, but if it goes back to God, then why does God need Torah in the first place? I mean... Go ahead. Either, maybe both. I mean, in, in, in this Midrash, Torah seems to be meant for God, right? Because God relies on Torah to, to create the world. So, I, don't, I mean, I actually think that that's a, 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 a reasonable interpretation, that, that maybe Torah is itself uh, built on, you know, founded on, um, fundamental principles that are built. I mean, that's a sort of like, you know, natural ethics, natural law kind of view, right? The Torah reflects, uh, an order of things that is kind of like built into the fabric of the universe. And it just gives voice and context to those, to those ideas. Um, let's see, hold on. We have some comments from cyberspace. Let's see. Um, my uh, Haima, uh, my mother-in-law says, expert turns to revealed truth or knowledge God created the world with. The, Torah, the truth of the Torah, the will and wisdom of the inside of the divine mind. Okay. You can throw that into the mix. Um, uh, let's see if there's uh, any commentaries in, in uh, my edition here that, uh, that might uh, uh, be meaningful. Right. Okay. So, um, just, uh, um, I have to go back and look and see, uh, who, who this commentary is. It's a commentary called the Eitz Yosef. It says, Okay. So according to the like basic meaning of this, this is difficult. Uh, okay, no, sorry. So he's just actually commenting on the the the, the term of Breshit there. Um, so that may not be 
That's so helpful. Are there other English synonyms that can be applied to reishi? Um, just do we need to just stick to his beginning? No. Like source, like what else? Uh, um. Uh, first thing. Um. You know, part of the uh, part of the question for Rashid is like, is it you know what part of speech is it? Is it a noun or an adjective or okay. verb? Um, but um, it could, I mean, it could mean beginning, but there are different ways of understanding beginning, right? So, um, uh, so in, you know, so sort of like beginning, beginning is relational to to some other point in time, right? The, uh, or some other action, right? So the beginning of what. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to think about the synonym question a little bit more carefully. But Are there more words in English than there are in Hebrew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More letters and more words. Gotcha. Um, So anyway, I mean, to, you know, to, to, uh, but going, you know, going back to the metaphor, right? Uh, God is the king. God looks to the Torah as the artisan to create the world. The artisan then, in turn, looks to other kind of um, uh, guides or principles to to do the work of creation. Now, what this also means, by the way, I think, is that God is not the one doing the creating. What's doing the creating? Torah is doing the creating. Well, I could, uh, I could accept that. Yeah? I could accept that. We got it. <laughs> How can you accept that? That, that, that would make sense. So why would that make sense to you? Because that's what Torah is, the fundamental. That's what we live by. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to emulate. Mm-hmm. What what I what I like about right what I like about that idea is that living a life of Torah uh, puts you in harmony with creation itself, and living uh, li- living outside of Torah uh, puts you in opposition to you know you're you're sort of rebelling against the the fabric of of creation. What I want to say about that is that that actually flies against a very common line about what the Torah is and what Torah means, is that the Torah um, is uh, uh, something that refines our nature uh, or that stands in opposition to our, like, uh, basic instincts, right? Um, uh, You know, so if that's true... I'm not sure you can have both of those things at the same time, right? I'm not sure that Torah, that if you live according to Torah, that's actually making you more in line with the way the world is supposed to work, more in harmony with the way the world is supposed to work, uh, and also say that the Torah is, uh, you live according to the Torah to prevent you from acting the ways that are natural for you to act. Hmm. This person, I had a confirmation and taught that we had. And in that my mother was the one that sort of helped us and the students go through this. Amen. And and we had uh, remember sitting Roman coin, sitting coin. And in there, I remember they had a passage that says, "It's Torah, a book," and they were reading it. No, and my mom just went shh, and that brought the whole idea. But what we studied in confirmation class was what Torah is, and Torah is, is as we understood, as I understood. 
So I can't connect with cyber disease anymore, but um, um, next week I'll get the live stream thing down right. Um, right. Uh, well, I think it's also, you know, uh, <clears throat> one, of, one of my favorite medieval rabbis is a, a rabbi named Sadia Gaon. Um, he was uh, a rabbi in Babylonia, modern day rock in the, in the ninth century. And what Sadia said is that there are four ways of knowing. There is uh, tradition, revelation, uh, reason, and uh, and investigation science. Um, and he said that um, that you can only know something is true if it is um, if it's affirmed as equally valid in each of those four things. So, um, so something you know seems true scientifically and true rationally, but is opposed to what the Torah says or uh, what uh, rabbinic tradition says. That's what tradition is. Uh, then, then somebody's got it wrong, and you've got to work to reconcile it. Can you give an example of something that would be true according to all four pieces? I don't know if this is more. Existential than an actual. Existential. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, true is a really complicated thing, but I would say something that seems to me to to um, uh, to hold uh, to hold significant. I, I would say the, the the prohibition on on murder, right? The the fact that um, that that for a human being to take another human being's life unlawfully um, is um, is a, a, a violation of of foundational ethical principles. Um, I would say, um, I, I think you can make a strong argument comports to, uh, to, to all of those things, right? Ten commandments. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, so I think that you'd have to go through each of the commandments and, and, um, uh, tradition, revelation, reason and, and investigation or science, or I don't remember exactly what the terminology is, but science essentially, um, uh, the study of nature. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The prohibition, I mean, it's not a natural thing. Right. To kill a trash person. Right. So I would say, you know, um, uh, the, uh, you, whatever, I mean, like, you know, the, 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 um, uh, in my opinion, the, um, the impulse to, um, to liberate the impressed the oppressed, not impressed, oppressed in the Bible, uh, comports with all four of those things. Uh, I think that, that, uh, that, that, you know, um, uh, uh, we also have, a, we also, you know, have a, a built in drive to oppress, but, um, but I think the impulse to alleviate oppression is also something that's, um, built into like, you know, science can be scientifically demonstrated, but I think that, you know, the, the, some of the complicated ones are like, you know, how do you then square the, uh, account in, of creation in Genesis with, um, uh, with, with science and with, with reason. Right. And so, um, uh, uh, so in that case, right. Um, uh, uh you've got to like strive to, um, uh, either reinterpret scripture um, and prioritize certain strands of the tradition, traditional understandings, etc., 
or you've got to conduct more scientific and you know scientific experiments and rational arguments to um, uh, you know to prove something that's not currently demonstrated, right? Um, we have five minutes left. Should we try to look at the next midrash? Okay. Uh, Franklin, you want to read? We'll start off with uh, Rabbi Yehoshua. Uh, Rabbi Yehoshua, yeah. Rabbi Yehoshua of Sichnin. In the name of Rabbi Ali, he opens with the verse. What's the name of the verse? Uh, it's, oh, sorry. Uh, 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 Tehillim is the book of Psalms. Psalm 111.6. The power of his works, he told his people, Israel. The power of his works. Okay. Why did Hashem reveal to Israel that which was created on the first day, second day, and so forth? Okay. Actually, let's 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 pause with that question. Okay. Um, let's first start with the verse that he's starting with. Okay. So um, it's uh, uh, Psalms one eleven six. Open it. Okay, so I, I, um, I have the passage reading like this. Um, I will give thanks unto the Lord with my whole heart. In the counsel of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all of them uh, that have delight therein. His work is glory and majesty, and his righteousness endures forever. Uh, that's the line. His, his, uh, um, his righteousness endures forever is, um, uh, oh, sorry, that's not, uh, this is a confusing, uh, numbering here. Um, his righteousness endures forever. He has made a memorial for his wonderful works. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Uh, he has given food unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are established forever and ever. They are done in truth and uprightness. So the, he, he's actually only giving us um, half the verse here, but I actually think you need the whole verse. The, the whole verse is, Koach ma'asav higid la'amo, latet lahem nachalat goyim. Which is, he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage or the inheritance of nations. Okay, so that's, yeah? It answers the question, yeah. The rest of the verse, like, answers. Right, the right, right. Um, so that's, so, right, in other words, you're going to see that come up later, right? Um, yeah, um, so the ver- whole verse is, uh, the, the um, uh, he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. So what's the question that this Midrash is striving to answer about the about uh, the the opening passage of Genesis. Like, why did God tell us about that? Is that what he's asking? Yeah. Well, why not tell us about that? Right. So, no, so you're right in them following that up with a question. Why not tell us about that? I don't know. 
So when Rashi quotes this Midrash in his uh, commentary to the opening verse of Genesis, he asks the question more explicitly. He says, why does the Torah start here instead of starting with the first commandment? Right? The Torah is ultimately a book of commandments. Why not start with with commandments. In other words, right to Franklin's point about what the Torah is, the Torah is the you know the the the, um, the the instruction book for how the Jewish people are supposed to live. Why not just start with the instructions? Wasn't the Torah largely again like step back chronological? I mean, I know there's you know some things there, a little passages here and there, but like in step back, it's you know. Right, so, but I guess the question is why? Like, why does it need to be chronological, right? If, if the essence of Torah are the mitzvot, then why do we need the chronology? Why do we need the history? I mean, maybe it's better just to know where you came from, to know where you're going, that sort of thing. Okay. It would be pretty dull if it was just a list of who says it needs to entertain you? Well, it's, if you're going to have people follow it, they have to be entertained. Generally, that's how people are. I mean, it's kind of like our history book, history book too. You know, it's like, how did we get to this point? I mean, how did we get, you know, to, to Sinai and beyond, you know? I mean, it's just a good... And also, if you think back to the first measures of like something... You know, when you know God needing like an artisan or an architect or a covering, a moan of whatever kind. And it seems like creation was a lot of pressure. This is a big deal. This is <laughs> a big freaking deal. So much that so he might have needed something to wrap himself with. I mean, you think about it. He creates, and creates, and creates. And at the end of it, he says it's good. That suggests that maybe he didn't know it was good. Like he wasn't sure if it was going to end up good yeah. or not. So it seems like there was some some pressure there, and so that's why it's probably included. Like, hey, before you were here, I was in this big old thing, and you should know about it. Well, people have to have a reason to believe this. I mean, you know, the daily struggle—what must have been immense—just making the living, just getting food for the next day, must have been huge. And so, you have to have a reason to believe all this. You should do all this. Right. So, so you're saying then that the reason we the Torah starts where it starts is that it it, it provides foundational principles. Absolutely. It says you know, it doesn't start with the commandment uh, because it needs to give a sense of of uh, what the authority of the commandment is in general. Right, um, why you should care about it, why you should listen to it, why you should believe it. To Nancy's point, uh, which which I think is a beautiful idea, um, there's another midrash. I don't know if you've heard that uh, God created and destroyed many worlds before God created this one, um, which kind of fleshes that idea out a little bit more. Right, like, the pressure was mounting. Right, you know, talking about it like an, an artist <laughs> feeling safe, and I was thinking here, I was like, you know, some of my best work wasn't about safety or not; it was about pressure or not. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, this is a big thing, creating a world that's supposed to to last and so on and so forth. And you know, you think about like because that's why I was asking about what a race sheet also could mean as like a source, and so with God Himself being a race sheet in His own right, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know if that's a, a good analogy, like English to Hebrew connection or not, but that's just what I was thinking about and. If it's about being the source, being, 
you know, day one started with me. I mean, I, I think that bears weight to be included to tell his people. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right, we are out of time, so why don't we uh, pause there for today, and next week we'll we'll just start back up at the top of this midrash and go on. Uh, I know it's a cliffhanger because we don't have the answer to the question, why did God start, start here? Uh, and, and the answer is similar, I think, to what uh, what we were saying, uh, but goes in a slightly different direction, and uh, um, it's, I think, uh, interesting to, uh, to reflect on.